Welcome to the Cleaning and Crime Podcast. My name is Elise, and if you're wondering about the name, I love to listen to true crime while I clean. So because cleaning and true crime are my two loves, I've combined the two. And every week I post a new whole house cleaning motivation video on my YouTube channel, See Elise. And in the corner of the video, I'm in a little bubble telling you about a true crime case that's interesting to me. So cleaning and crime. But for some, the cleaning footage is too distracting. Or some people just prefer to listen to their true crime and not watch it. If you want to check out the video version of today's story, be sure to check out my YouTube channel and you'll find a playlist of all of my cleaning and crime episodes. But if you just came here for the crime and not the cleaning, you're in the right place. I'm uploading my older episodes of Cleaning and Crime in podcast form, and once all the old ones are up and I'm caught up, my upload schedule will be weekly, the same day the video version goes up on YouTube. Some of the earlier episodes do have slightly lower sound quality than the newer episodes, and that's just reflective of improving my skills as I went, but also, in the beginning, I only ever intended for these to be videos. So as the episodes progress, hopefully you'll notice the sound quality improving. Trigger warning, this is a true crime podcast. Some episodes may be disturbing to some listeners. Be sure to check the show notes for each episode for specific trigger warnings. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Today I'm going to tell you about the true crime case about Robert Fisher. Have you heard of this guy? He's still at large. We never found this guy and it's been 21 years and that sucks. Robert Fisher, who is this guy? His story centers around a giant house fire in Scottsdale, Arizona. The Beverly Hills of Arizona. It was a nice neighborhood, right? So this guy's house burns down. When firefighters and investigators finally get into the house after the fire is under control, they find the bodies of Robert's wife and his two children, but they do not find Robert. When they found the remains, of the family, they quickly realized this was not just a tragic house fire where the family succumbed to the smoke. Once they got to the bodies, they realized it was much more than that and that they had been murdered and then the fire was started. And Robert was nowhere to be found. And he is still nowhere to be found. And we don't know where he is. Let's go back. Robert Fisher. So he was born April 13th, 1961 in Brooklyn, New York. He grew up with his father, William Fisher, and his mother, Jan Howell. And he's got two sisters. And in 1976, his parents decided to get a divorce. Now he was 15 at the time. And he really blamed his parents' divorce just for everything that went wrong in his life. Like, okay. The bottom line is he took it really, really hard. I know that divorce is hard for everyone, but Robert took it really hard. Even as an adult, like around the time of the fire, he was still two co-workers talking about how if his mother wouldn't have left his family, his whole life would have been completely different. So obviously it had long lasting effects on this guy. Okay, okay, look, he's upset. Robert and his sisters then moved with their father from New York to Arizona and that's where they started going to high school. So Robert met his wife Mary in high school and after graduation he joined the US Navy and he attempted but failed to join the Navy SEALs and after that failed attempt he ended up moving her to California so he could be a firefighter. However he was forced to retire early from being a firefighter because he suffered a serious back injury and that left him with chronic pain and also a really bad attitude. <laughs> Direct result. <laughs> so after the back injury, he moved the family back to Arizona and that's where he started working in the medical field. He was a nurse and he held several different medical technician jobs. At the time of the triple homicide, he was working as a surgical technician at the Mayo Clinic. So like I said, Robert and Mary met in high school and they got married in 1987. 
It was reported that trouble in paradise began after Robert's back injury. Like I said, it gave him a bad attitude. So the trouble in the marriage was bad enough that family and friends noticed, including Robert's mother, Jan. She stated that she was visiting and she noticed that the family dynamic that Robert and Mary and the kids had was very similar to the family dynamic that she had when she was married to Robert's father. And apparently she pulled Mary aside and told her that. And she was like, I was a very yes sir wife and I didn't stand up for myself and it took me a long time to get out. And it was a really unhealthy family dynamic for my family and for me. And I see it in your family now. So she, Robert's mother, Jan, warned Mary like, my son sucks. I don't like this. This is not good. That is rough. <laughs> also, not, not just Jan, but close friends of the couple stated that the family dynamic and the life that Robert and Mary had had built with the kids was very reminiscent of Robert's own childhood. So like they thought it was like he was trying to recreate his own childhood. So basically it seemed like everybody in their lives knew that their marriage was rocky, okay? And that they were having trouble at home. Most described Robert as cruel and controlling towards his family and that he was a distant man, which is not not, not my favorite qualities to call a husband and a father, you know what I'm saying? It was stated that he had complete control over the family and the house. To the point where he wouldn't let Mary, his wife, he would not let her decorate the house at all. She wasn't allowed to paint the walls, they all had to be white. There was only like a few select family photos on the walls that he picked. She just couldn't express herself in the home at all, it had to be just so. Like that sounds like, that sounds like my nightmare. <laughs> a friend of Mary's stated that Mary's mother would always make her sweet gifts and she loved to make quilts and blankets. Just like my mom, I have like a stack of blankets that my mom has made for me. But Mary was not allowed to put them out and she wasn't allowed to like hang them on the wall. She wasn't allowed to put them on the couch. She wasn't allowed to use them. They couldn't go on the bed. And so she just hid them in a closet. And I guess Robert would open the closet to get something and when he'd see the blankets, he would get angry and he would tell her, isn't it about time you got rid of this shit? What a dick. Friends also stated that once the kids were in school age, Mary ended up getting a job, which Robert didn't like, but she convinced him to allow her to get a job. And she told her friends that she took the job because she was working on her security fund. So friends knew that she was trying to work towards some financial independence to presumably leave Robert because it sucks there. She can't even use a blanket. Like, so her friends knew that she was working up to a point where she felt comfortable that she could leave. Okay, okay. Now, Robert was an avid hunter, fisherman, outdoorsman, loved camping, and he was embarrassed that his son, Bobby, did not like fishing or hunting. And he also once, this is such a crazy story, he once tried to teach his son, Bobby, and his daughter, Brittany, how to swim by just chucking them out of a boat. He was with a fishing buddy and had the kids on the boat, and he just chucked them off the boat, and the friend was like, uh, holy shit. And then eventually after the kids were screaming and crying, he grabbed them and plopped them on the boat and said, now there, you swam, how's that? And the fishing friend was like, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> that is horrifying. This guy sounds like a dick, but we're talking true crime here. So we are well aware that this guy's probably a dick, right? Okay, great. We're all on the same page. Robert and Mary fought all the time very frequently, usually about sex and money. He also once beat Mary with a garden hose for talking out of turn. Neighbors all knew that their marriage was in trouble and that they fought all the time because they could hear it. And 
They also stated that they never heard Robert screaming in the arguments. They always heard Mary screaming in the arguments and they would hear her yell that he was worthless and that she regretted marrying him and that she thought they should get a divorce. Like they could literally hear her yelling these things. And that makes me think of like, you know how some people fight like they want you to snap. Like they poke you and they poke you and they push you until you snap and then you start screaming and then, oh, now you're the crazy one. That sounds like that, you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? How some people like just, mm, this guy's a dick. <laughs> and I know it's easy to be like, so get a divorce, but it's not that simple. She wanted the divorce, but she graduated high school and had kids and this is her first job that she just started. So she's not financially independent. She's not secure. She's unsure of how to even get away from this guy. And it's not like he's making it easy because he doesn't want a divorce. And we'll get into it. Because the marriage was unhappy, Robert left the house a lot. He was always hunting, always fishing, like on like long weekend camping and hunting trips with friends. His hunting partners started noticing increasingly disturbing behaviors from Robert. For example, once he shot an elk and he went and found the animal and his friends caught up with him. And when they found him, he was smearing the blood of the elk all over his face. I mean, I've heard of that. I think that's a, a, a thing but um, it was uncharacteristic for Robert and that particular hunting group. So they were like, mm, what the fuck? That was different. Red flag starting to go up. Even crazier than that, one time they're out like on this camping trip and whatever, and he finds this family at a picnic table, like having a nice lunch, and he snuck up behind the family and fired his gun into the air to scare them. Can you imagine those kids at that picnic table? How horrifying that would be as some strange man, like. I don't think he was covered in elk blood at the time, but can you imagine if he was? And he was just like, ah! I would be scarred for life. I would be scarred for life. <laughs> oh my god. And he shot and killed a stray pit bull in his neighborhood. And the cops were called. And he was like, oh yeah, the, the pit bull was attacking my dog, so I had to shoot it. But even the police were like, he orchestrated that. Like his dog was calm and unharmed. And it was known around the neighborhood that he hated that pit bull. And so even the cops were like, Mm -mm. He wanted to kill that dog. That was for sport. And he was just like, yeah, he attacked my dog. I had no choice. I hate this guy so much. And he has a highly punchable face too. And dead fish eyes. That's a thing, dead fish eyes. So clearly, this guy's kinda, you know, he's, he's fucked up. The marriage is bad. The family dynamic is bad. Everything's bad. Things are bad. Everyone knows it. Okay, so like I said, it's easy to be like, just get a divorce. But because of Robert's experience with going through a divorce in his teen years, he was so scarred from it, according to him, that divorce was simply not an option. He would never agree to a divorce. He would never allow Mary to leave him and he didn't want to put his kids through that. So Mary was in a pretty shitty situation. Like she clearly wanted out and she felt like there was no way out. So she's just going day by day and working her job and stockpiling money until she felt like she could get out. And that sucks. Poor Mary. There were some warning signs because, you know, Robert was out with friends hunting and fishing and he kept commiserating with his friends about his rocky marriage. And he said to his friends, I would rather be dead. I would rather die than get a divorce. 
And he also told his friends about how he was having suicidal thoughts and severe depression regarding the state of his marriage. So while Robert's off with his friends talking about how he's all depressed and is having suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideations, and, and will never get a divorce no matter what, at the same time, Mary is talking to her friends saying, I'm stockpiling money, I can't wait to get out, I need to get away from this guy, everything sucks. And I'm leaving him whether he likes it or not. So we have two different narratives going on here behind the scenes, which is not great. Okay, so fast forward to December 2000. Robert confessed to some co-workers that he had had a one night stand with a sex worker at a massage parlor, after which he developed a very painful UTI that laid him up for days and he had to miss work and he was worried that his wife was gonna find out and figure it out. Robert, no. Not great. Not great. I couldn't help, I'm, this is terrible, but I couldn't help but laugh when I read that. Cause I'm like, typical man, like a UTI like lays him up for like four days and he's like, oh. <laughs> I don't know, I just, I know that UTIs are really painful, but I just couldn't help but think like, oh, if it was Mary that got a UTI, she would have like, pounded some cranberry juice and just gotten back to work in like two hours. <laughs> anyway, he was in a lot of pain and he missed a bunch of work and he was worried that Mary was gonna find out that he had cheated on her with a sex worker at a massage parlor. And guess what? She did figure it out. She's not an idiot. Once the truth came out, she's like, out. That's it, out of my face, out of my house, get out. So she kicked his ass out. So he left and went camping and hunting for a few days to give her some space to calm down. Fucking idiot. And then he comes back and he's like, honey, I have recommitted myself to God and to this family and to this marriage and I won't be leaving and we're gonna work it out and divorce is not an option. And she's like, great. She's like, I kinda don't have an option here. <laughs> So let's try counseling. So they go to their church and they go to their pastor and they're like, will you, will you help us out with some marriage counseling here because my husband sucks. Some sources said that they were doing some counseling before the affair as well, but other sources said that they started counseling after. I'm not 100% sure on the actual timeline of when they started counseling, but I do know that they did go to counseling with their senior pastor at the church after the affair, for sure. Not that that matters a lot, but they were going to counseling. However, it did not work <laughs> and everything still sucked and Mary still wanted out. Robert could tell that the counseling wasn't working and that Mary still was very unhappy and he was going on lots of hunting trips with his friends and on every trip, he was just on and on to his friends about how the marriage was so hard and horrible and that the counseling wasn't working, but that he would rather be dead and would die before he had to live without his family. And he actually said the words that he would consider suicide over divorce if it came to that. Mary, on the other hand, the counseling just reaffirmed things for her. And she was like, no amount of counseling is gonna save this marriage. And she told her friends like a few weeks before the fire, it is over, I am absolutely 100% decided that I'm going to divorce him. I just wanna take a second to say, and I'm not an expert in the field, obviously, but if you are in a relationship where your significant other threatens suicide if you leave them, that is abuse 
and that is manipulation. In the description box, I will leave resources and information for the National Domestic Abuse Hotline in case anybody needs someone to talk to or to listen to them or to help them through a difficult situation, you can find some information that might help in my description box. Okay, just wanted to get that out there. Let's move on. Okay, we've gotten through all the background. Let me tell you, we are up to April 10th, 2001. 8.42 a.m. firefighters are called by many neighbors within about a half a mile of the family home in Scottsdale, Arizona. And they're all calling in saying, there was a giant explosion. There is a giant fire. I can see it from my house. It was, it was this huge kaboom and then flames just two stories high engulfing this home and everybody could see it through their windows. The Fisher family home on 74th and Oak exploded and erupted into flames, just huge flames. Apparently while neighbors were waiting for the firefighters to get there, they were like doing everything they could. They were, they were grabbing garden hoses and like trying to spray at the house to keep the neighbor's houses from getting set on fire. When the firefighters got there, the flames were 20 feet high and then they couldn't go into the house because there was more smaller secondary explosions going on while they're trying to fight the fire. It was later determined that they believe it was paint cans and ammunition in the home that was exploding because of the fire. But because of that, it was too dangerous for the firefighters to actually get in. The flames were too high and they're like, if there's anybody in there, we can't get to them, we can't save them. It's We're just trying to keep the whole neighborhood from burning down at this point, you know what I mean? And even one firefighter was injured fighting the blaze. It was a huge fire. By the time the firefighters were able to get into the house, they found the bodies of Mary, and the two children, Bobby, age 10, and Brittany, age 12, all three of which were still in their beds. Now at first glance, they were like, oh, how sad. The family died in the fire. We don't know where the husband is yet, but uh, oh no. And then investigators walk in, they're like, this is not just a house fire. There is a lot more going on here. In a lot of house fires, they say the smoke inhalation, like while you're sleeping, will kill you. You know what I mean? And then the house burns. But with a fire that burned this quickly, with an explosion like that, they wouldn't have been lying in their beds, okay? So that was their first thoughts. And I'm like, well, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that, but that's why I'm not an investigator, because I don't know anything. But anyway, they were right, and they see that Mary was laying in her bed, but she had been, trigger warning, I'm gonna talk about murder stuff now. She had been shot in the back of the head and her throat was slit. And then when they went and investigated the children, their throats were slit from ear to ear as well. Robert's nowhere to be found. Where's Robert? His family is dead. The house burned down. Oh my God, what happened? So they investigate the victims. They investigate the whole house. They investigate, they investigate. <laughs> they determine that Mary and the children were dead before the fire was started. And the fire was started about 10 hours after the family was killed. Someone had detached the gas line from the back of the furnace. So it's just And then in the middle of the living room was placed one lit candle. That would mean that gas would slowly be rising and filling up until it gets to the living room candle and when the gas hits the flame, boom. And investigators estimated that the speed of the gas and the something something and the amount of distance it had to travel, it would take about 10 hours for that to happen. Oh my God, 10 hours, that's so interesting. So this guy, I'm sorry, allegedly the killer, killed these three people, this woman and two children, and then set a 10 hour delayed fuse explosion so he could get the hell out of Dodge before the house blew. 
Also, upon investigating further and talking to all the neighbors, wouldn't you know it that neighbors heard screaming coming from the Fisher house about 10 hours before the explosion. And then, after all the screaming stopped, they saw Robert Fisher get into his wife's car, Mary's Toyota 4Runner, and drove off. And then like nine hours and 45 minutes later, the house blew up and burned. Gee, I wonder what happened. Dick. I hate this guy. <laughs> what do investigators do now? We need to find this guy. So, okay, back to the argument, right? So a neighbor heard Mary, because they always just heard Mary yelling, not Robert. They heard Mary yelling about the same stuff as always. Around 10 p.m., the coroner reported that the time of death for Mary and the kids was between 9.30 and 10.15 p.m. Huh. Then at 10.43 p.m., Robert was spotted on an ATM camera, the security camera, withdrawing $280 out of the ATM, and you can see Mary's forerunner in the background of the video. What are you doing, Robert? What are you getting 280 bucks for? Okay, so over the next few days, investigators were trying to be strategic about how they're gonna find this guy, right? And they were trying to keep it under wraps that he was the main suspect. They were pushing the narrative that he's missing. Oh no, we need to find this guy to let him know about the tragic house fire that killed his family. If you've seen this guy, please call the police. They're like telling the news he's missing. They weren't saying he was the prime suspect because they thought that would, you know, if they're like, we're looking for this guy who killed his family, that that would spook him and he would, he would run or something, you know, which is smart. Now, 10 days after the explosion, Mary's forerunner was found, okay? It was found in the Tonto National Forest. And it's about 100 miles north of Scottsdale. When they found the car, Blue, the family dog, was there and he was hiding under the car. He was alive, he was fine. He was super hungry, he was super agitated, and they found human excrement, poop, by the passenger door, okay? And they found an Oakland Raiders hat, just like the one that Robert was wearing in the ATM footage, on the seat. Of course, he's a freaking Raiders fan, right? God. So here's the problem, because obviously we've never found this guy, so obviously there's problems. Okay, so problem is, the police were not equipped for a search of this magnitude. In the Tonto National Forest, it is an expansive and complicated system of caves. You have to be an expert caver, spelunker, to go through these complicated cave systems, not be a regular police officer. Like we're talking complex underground cave networks that go for miles. So you can't just send a regular old cop down there like, go ahead, go find him in there, good luck. Also, less than a mile from where they found the car was the Fort Apache Indian Reservation. And they followed what looked like footsteps to the edge of the reservation. And they're like, well, he's not here. I guess we gotta go. Because they didn't have jurisdiction there. So they just didn't go in and look for him there. Um, That sucks. And then there's these crazy caves. They can't get into them. They're like, we don't, we're not equipped for this. Over the years, many professional cavers and spelunkers have gone to the caves and like tried to find him or maybe find like the body of Robert, but nothing has been found. Okay, so there was one reported sighting, possibly, of Robert from the time when they found the car. Okay, so a few days before police found the car, this couple is hiking in the Tonto National Forest, okay? And they didn't see the car, but basically in between the area of the car and the Indian Reservation, this couple that was hiking saw a guy. At the time, the news was still reporting 
on Robert as being a missing man. His family was killed and they were looking for him. They hadn't said he was like the prime suspect yet, but he his face was still all over the news. So this couple is hiking and they see this dude walking and she kind of in passing to her husband says, kind of looks like Robert Fisher. <laughs> and then they just con continued on their hike. And it wasn't until a few days later after they the police found the car then they're seeing the car on the news one morning while they're drinking their coffee and she's like, oh shit. They found that guy's car like right where we were. I think that guy we saw was Robert Fisher. Like they kind of, at, in the moment when they saw that guy, their brains didn't piece together that it probably was him. You know what I mean? Like what are the odds that I'm going to see this missing guy while hiking? A hundred miles from Scottsdale. You know, they didn't think that that was really him. But once they saw the news that they had found the car, in that area she was like well shit i think it was him so they called the cops a few days after they found the car right so that was the only solid lead that came out of finding the car but it didn't lead anywhere because they didn't find him oh also the area the tonto national forest where they found mary's forerunner robert had a hunting buddy take him there a few weeks before the house fire and they called and reported that to the police. The wife of the hunting buddy was like, he had my husband take him there because my husband knows the area very well. I think Robert had my husband take him there and show him around so that he would know everything about the area from an expert so that he could dump the car and run and hide or unalive himself there or whatever his plan was. That tracks. So he went there a few weeks before to scope it out. This guy, it was premeditated, come on. So there have been many sightings and tips, but none of them have really come to anything. That's the issue though. Like if you look at this guy's face, he looks like an average white dude. He looks like, he's got one of those faces, you know, where he looks, I can think of three people that kind of look like Robert Fisher. I should probably call the cops actually about that. I don't think he'd come to Wisconsin if he was living in Scottsdale though, so. There was this one, this one guy, um, an old neighbor of the Fishers. He was up in Canada and he swears he saw this guy. He's like, that is Robert Fisher. I know, he was my neighbor. Like I know that, I know him, that's him. So he calls the cops, the cops go up and he's like, I'm gonna go and sit in the police station. I'm gonna watch them bring this guy in and I'll see him and he'll see me and then I'll know, yeah, I knew it was you, you know, so he really wanted to be there. So the old neighbor, he's sitting there in the police station. The cops bring this guy in and the way the neighbor told the story, <laughs> this is in this documentary that I watched. He's telling the story. He's like, Robert walks in and he sees me sitting there and he looks at me and with his eyes, he knew me and he was like, oh shit, what are you doing here? With his eyes. But I know that was him. I know the way he walks and his mannerisms and his face, it was him, that was him. Well then the cops, like they look into this guy and they like check all his documents and they run his fingerprints and they're like, no, it's not him. Fingerprints don't match. So it wasn't him. But then the neighbor's like, he was a nurse. He would know how to change his fingerprints. I don't think they teach that in nursing school though. I don't think that's possible to alter your fingerprints. And if it is, I just, I don't think that's it. But I appreciate that guy's gusto, you know? He was a nurse. He would know how to do it. Kevin Spacey and Seven just shaving him off because I think that's how it works. <laughs>
anyway, the bottom line is it's been 21 years and tips like that are just coming in constantly. Like the investigators are still working this case and still getting tips almost daily, probably because Robert Fisher has a regular average face. Got one of those faces, you know? He was officially charged by the Scottsdale Police Department, by the way. In July of 2002, he was charged with three counts of first degree murder and one count of arson. So there was an arrest warrant, but there was just no Robert. He spent 20 years on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. So, good job, idiot. In 2021, he was removed from the FBI's 10 most wanted list because they had to make room for other sickos and he has still not been found and that sucks that's the story of the jackass robert fisher who in my opinion he did it what do you guys think i think at least half of it is pretty obvious do you think he did it i do i think that he killed his family and burned the house down because he didn't want to get a divorce and that is fucked up I just, what I just, I just don't get it about these family annihilators, how they often have this thing where it's like, my family can't live without me, or I'm going to spare my children the, the horrible thing that I went through because divorce ruined his life, you know? I'm pretty sure if he asked those kids their opinion, they would rather be alive, living their life. And this idiot, asshole, what do you call him? I don't know monster took their lives for what it just ah oh, hate this guy but i think that part's obvious i think he did it is he alive honestly i think he did i think he did i the way that he talked the way all of his friends and family said you know what he said like i would rather be dead i have suicidal thoughts like he went on and on and on about it i think he went out to those caves maybe camped for a few days and then just ended it and he's in a cave somewhere and nobody's found him. That's my theory because I don't think he's the type of guy, not that I met him, but just from hearing all the stories, I don't think he's the type of guy that's gonna be like, I'm just gonna move to Florida, get a new wife and try again. Like, in my opinion, that doesn't track with the things that he said and the way that he acted and his personality and I don't know. If you're curious, the FBI made age progression photos. If you're dead, bye bitch. We won't miss you. Ew. So that's the story. That's the story of Robert Fisher, and he's a monster. Rest in peace to poor Mary Fisher and the shit she had to deal with with that piece of shit man. And rest in peace to Bobby and Brittany, his beautiful kids that he stole from the world. And I think I can speak for everyone when I say, fuck that guy. Again, you will find resources in my description box. And if you are interested in finding out more about this Robert Fisher case. I will put the information for a documentary that I watched that I found very interesting. There's just, there's more information about this case, but there's just not enough time to go over every detail in a YouTube video. Please let me know in the comments what you thought. Thanks again for joining me today. Don't forget to subscribe if you're interested in more because I will be back next week with episode two of Cleaning and Crime. I'll see you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Cleaning and Crime. If you'd like more content from me or you want to see the cleaning side of things, check me out on YouTube or TikTok or follow my socials, all of which are under the name C. Elise, S-E-E-E-L-I-S-E. -E -E -E. If you have any questions or any case ideas that you'd like to share, email me at cleanclean at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. These episodes include my personal opinions, and all information is compiled by me using references that are publicly available. Sources are included in the show notes. 
All parties described are innocent until proven guilty. See you next time. Thank you.